Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. Paul Mufti Harun Saab, uh, who is um, a, a, upon, a, on top of being a scholar and a mufti uh, who graduated from Khairul Madaris Pakistan, Multan, studied in Raivind, Darul Ulum in Raivind. <coughs> Beyond that, he is Madrasa Arabiya, Islamiya in Raivind. He graduated with his Ifta and Tahassus Fil Fiqh program uh, in, uh, in Khairul Madaris, Multan. And alhamdulillah, he did his engineering before he went and he continues his other uh, degrees while after having come back here. Uh, he's one of the earlier scholars who, who returned from overseas. Interesting fact that I will share with people. Um, I don't know if he likes it to be shared, but I think it's great for people to know that alhamdulillah, he was actually a, 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 a lieutenant in the U.S. Army before he went on to go study ilm. And you see, uh, you know, all of that all the background and, and the, the mujahad and the sacrifice he went through in the army, of course, the difficult, rigorous training helped. He always mentions the fact that because the madrasa studies were very, very, very rigorous where he studied. It wasn't in a beautiful, easy place like this. A lot of struggles. And those struggles in here, in training, helped him also overcome the struggles there. And it is through struggles that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives you the barakah and the knowledge and ilm. After returning... Uh, beyond teaching in, in, in various madrasas, books, uh, hifz, book, hifz as well as Islamic alamiya um, books, he alhamdulillah went and took the initiative of going to college and completing the full uh, funeral program. So he is a licensed funeral director. I'm sure almost all of you know that by now. And uh, so there would probably be no one definitely better to do this presentation than himself. So inshallah, without further ado, I'll call Mufti Harun Sahib inshallah. أحمده نسلي على رسوله الكريم ما بعد فعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم كل نفس دائقة الموت صدق الله صدق الله العظيم that's a very famous ayat of the Quran where Allah سبحانه وتعالى is reminding us that everyone will die كل نفس دائقة الموت he could have said كل نفس كل نفس يموت everyone will die but actually the the words that uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uses in the Quran, this is in uh, Surah Ali Imran, that everyone will taste death. Everyone will taste death. And death is an experience. And I don't want to dwell too much on this. You know, I want to get more to the, you know, the practical aspects. But just as a reminder, whether you believe in a creator or not, whether you believe in life or death or not, life after death or not, but... No matter if you're a, 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 a set atheist or an agnostic, but no one can deny death. <clears throat> and death here, you know, especially in this country, it, it's become a business. And I don't want to get into that aspect maybe until the end, just, just for your knowledge as for how we, we can you know, help our loved one you know, through this pro process. But you know, Islam simplifies and Islam you know has taught us everything in, in, in our life. That's why you know just Prophet Muhammad in the same in the same surah Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying Qul in kuntum Allah fattabi'uni he's telling Prophet Muhammad look if you love me who's me? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala if we claim to be the lovers of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then fattabi'uni then follow Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa so that is the criteria of a true lover of Allah. You know, we, we claim to be this, we claim to be so-and-so. But our actions, as they say, the actions speak louder than words. And if our actions exemplify the life of Prophet Muhammad not just the way we look, but the way we eat, the way we earn money, the way we do many things, then that is a sign that we love Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. 
So one of the ways uh, in which we exemplify our love for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is in our rituals. You know, we, we tend to take these things for granted, like what we're wearing, what we eat, what we had for dinner, what, uh, um, you know, the, the slang that we use in our day-to-day colloquial. These things that, we do, that, that, we, that, that we're using every day, these give hints to our identity. So that's why, you know, our, uh, one, uh, you know, the elders say, if you want to look at the, the piety of someone, look at their, uh, you know, the, their big gatherings. Especially that's what I mentioned up there, the marriages and the funerals. No matter if somebody has a big beard and he spent, you know, how many, you know, chillas. Uh, but if in the, in the marriages, the, the men and women are mixed and you have the, the, you know, the music going on, you have, uh, you know, all the rituals of, especially many people here from, you know, the India subcontinent, where we have many of the rituals of the, of, of the, of the Hindus, because that's where we, we grew up. Or even here, now that we're, we're, many are coming here and we're assimilating to the local culture, and we have many of the rituals of the local culture, that will show you how close we are to deen. So one of the important facts is marriages. We're not here discussing that. That's a whole can of, big, big can of worms. But another important fact is funerals. And funerals are practical because people die all the time. And people will be dying. No one who's ever been born is going to stay alive forever. So, so whoever, you know, whoever is here today will not be here 100 years from now. And whoever is sitting here today was not here 100 years previously. So we come and go. This planet is a, uh, is, is a theater for which people, you know, the players, they come and go. So how we come and go, that's very important. So the birth and marriage and funerals. So that aspect of our life is very important. So that's why I just wanted to give you a brief synopsis. Here I just wanted to get mostly into the do's and don'ts. Because there's a lot of misconceptions about funerals. What can we do this? Can't, we can't do this. So that's what I wanted to cover mostly as far as the do's and don'ts. Then at the end, um, I'll give more like a, a practical, uh, how can you say, advice. As far as people living in the USA, if someone dies, what do we do? And the third part, as Mufti Azim was saying, maybe we'll go through our friend here. Um, we'll see, maybe put him to his final destination. Um, we have a similar setup there within the ladies, so they can also, uh, you, you know, practice that. And that is actually, it's very important. You, you know, um, a few generations back, it would be unheard of that someone did not know the Salatul Janazah. Someone did not know how to pray the Janazah. But today, I would be very, you'd be very, uh, you know, lucky if you found, you know, the people that were here for Juma. if you asked just a random person, can you recite the Salatul Janazah? You'd be, you'd be lucky if you found somebody who, who knew. And that just shows you our, uh, you know, the level of deen that we have in our lives. And mashallah, institutions such as this, masajid and madrasas, they're there to educate our young so that when they get older, inshallah, our next generation will be more uh, educated deen-wise than we are today. So these sessions, as, to, you know, as far as today's presentation and other sessions that we have you know, monthly, they're here to uh, not just increase us in knowledge, but to bring us more practically into the deen. So without further introduction, I'm just going to go into the, uh, you know, the, uh, the, the aspect of death that we deal with you know, uh, on, on a continuous basis. So we'll start with just go in order. When someone is sick, what happens, and then 
when they finally die after death and we you know, wash the body and then after washing the body go into the cemetery and then burial. And then after that we cover a few uh, mistakes that we tend to, that, that are common, that are prevalent. And then after that we'll, we'll, we'll ask to we'll give you some time for question and answers inshallah. So let's proceed. Now, just a little introduction that, that, I, that I made. Uh, you know, death should be a reminder for all of us. Prophet ﷺ said, That death is enough of a reminder for us. Sometimes you come here, you know, we come for Jummah, you hear a speech, or you, or you, you go on the, you know, on, on, on the web and you listen to some talk, and, and you feel inspired, and you feel motivated to do something. And then if we go, you know, if we don't, if we stay away from the, you know, the company of the pious, then sometimes we get, you know, we, we tend to go off track. Um, but death should be a reminder, we should be reminding each other of death all the time. So Prophet ﷺ said that, you know, we should visit the cemeteries. Yes, to visit our elders that have passed away, but also to, for myself to remind me that it will be my turn tomorrow. Just as today I'm putting my mother or, or my loved one, putting inside the grave, you, you know, the, the elders, they should do muraqaba. Muraqaba means just think. To just take some time in private, just sit, you know, maybe not necessarily with the lights off, but just some privacy, and close your eyes and, and think. Look, today I am dying. And my last breaths have left my body. Now they close my eyes, and as we go through the procedure, and now they're taking me, they're washing my body. And now they're covering me with the shroud. And now they're taking me to, to pray the Salatul Janazah. Allahu Akbar. Now I'm listening to the janazah. Now they're carrying me. I'm being carried and jostled. I'm going, I'm going inside the grave. Now they're putting me inside the grave. Now the dirt is being put inside the grave. Now I'm all alone. Now what? That's a Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam in many When the two angels come to him, and they ask him, you know, the three questions that are in the grave. No need to get into that, but I'm just saying, we should remind ourselves of that. So that way we are prepared. And how do we prepare? Did you know, I already bought a grave in Elmer Cemetery or I already paid for this. No, no. Prepare means with amal. That I don't have any um, taza salat. Meaning I have prayed salat. And since the time I was balik, I have, alhamdulillah, prayed all my prayers. But I don't owe zakat for any, uh, any money since, uh, you know, since I, I was obligated to pray zakat. Or I don't owe anybody money. Or, you know, preparation for death. So th this is what we should be doing. So that's what it's referring to here. First of all, fulfill all obligations and promises uh, before we die. And that we should have, we should be cognizant of uh, continuously. Not just, you know, when you're 70 years old or 80 years old and now you're diagnosed with cancer and they, they tell you you have, you know, so many so months to live. No, 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 I mean that is actually a, a warning from Allah SWT that gives us, you know, a, a time to plan for that final journey. But who knows, many times, you know, especially in our experience here, you know, young people, 18 years old, I'm sure a few of you were here a couple of years back, you know, with the Janazah Islamic Foundation, two, two young guys, they were driving the Porsche on 98 and they, they crashed. One is 18 year old, 19 year old, crashed. The car burned and they, they, were, they passed away. Um, so, so death is, is not necessarily going to come to us the way we plan it. So we should be ready to die at any time. So one of the preparations, especially those that are getting older and those, in fact, it is sunnah for those who travel 
um, extensively. In fact, one of the, the recommendations for those going for Hajj is to have a will. That's the second point here, that we should have a, a will. Um, especially those with, with children and families, that is a, um, a practical step. That we're not going to cover that here, but maybe it might be um, worth investing in, you know, in some amount of money to visit maybe an estate planner or maybe uh, you know, uh, some sort of a lawyer. Because if, if you don't have any sort of estate planning and you happen to die, then what happens is your whatever estate may be, whatever assets you have, it goes to the state. And they take a big chunk right out of there. And why should, you know, the uh, Uncle Sam, they're already getting so much money from us anyway, why should we give them more than, you know, more than we have to? So that's another practical step that, especially the people that are getting up in age, we need to, we should have a, a will prepared. And how to do that? Obviously, you know, consult a lawyer, but consult the muftis too. You know, there are, um, this, this is just a tangent, but, you know, Sharia covers every aspect of our lives. And, you know, those, especially for the Hafizas, they know the two most difficult ayats in the Quran are, what is it? You seek Allah, right? So that's where Allah SWT in the Quran is, is you know, he's, he's telling us how our inheritance should be distributed. You know, here we say, oh, I want to give this one to this foundation, I want to give this to this so-and-so. No, our children, our wives, our parents, they have a set formula. It's a set, you know, percentage that, are, that is already set for them. So when you, when you plan your will, you should keep that in mind, and then there's one-third that you can give to, to charities and stuff. So anyway, that's we should plan before death. But now, let's say it's too late. Now someone you know, and I'm sure, you know, in this community, people die all the time. We just had a funeral today in Islamic Foundation. Um, and this was an o o o older sister. Uh, but, you know, I'm sure you know your aunts and uncles, grandparents, somebody, somebody's sick, or even somebody nowadays, even if you're, if you're not old. Uh, you know, cancer or heart disease, especially, you know, in this country, diabetes 3, you know, all of us are getting, uh, putting on weight and lack of exercise. So let's assume the time is coming. So what should we do? So now let's, we're going to go through a step-by-step -step procedure for when someone is about to die. So when someone is about to die, ideally we should um, make him comfortable. Um, I, I, I've seen in different nursing homes, some hospitals where people, you, you know, and, and the people who, you know, who go to nursing homes, I'm sure they, you know, the children who put their, uh, you know, some family members in, in the nursing home, I'm sure they mean well. They say, look, I can't take care of my mom, I can't take care of my dad, uh, so we have professionals looking after them. But just what I've seen with my own eyes, the people that are there in, in, in the nursing homes, uh, you know, some of them, they, you need to, you know, just to turn your body. If your body does not turn, you get bed sores. Bed sores, I don't know if you know, bed sores are literally your flesh melts away. You can, you know, you can go right to the bone, and and that, uh, you know, that type of care is very important. So anyway, comfort. If you know somebody has been diagnosed, we should be uh, cognizant of keeping them in comfort. And comfort is one is physical comfort, giving them some pillows and giving them some water. Um, now there's also pain management. Somebody, you know, when, when they're diagnosed with the, like, a terminal illness, then that's when the doctors come in and they, they you know, they manage their pain. Sometimes, you know, at, at the, the end-of-life care, palliative care, that's when they don't try to, you know, treat the disease. But now, they know it's gone to such a degree that now it's not treatable. 
So now what do they do? They manage the pain. That lets, let them leave this world in a, how can you say, without experiencing too much pain. So comfort as much as we can do. And that's where, you know, the families come in, you know, provide something, uh, you know, mundane as maybe to have a washroom close by. Rather than walking two doors down the hallway to a washroom, maybe just have, you know, a porta pot next to their bed. Or maybe just have a, you know, um, uh, water or maybe some oxygen or whatever it may be. So we should be taking care of comfort of the people that are sick. Um... Prompt the person to say kalima. This is a important. Uh, now somebody is sick. He's been now the, the, the disease has been progressing. Now he's almost about to die. So what should the people do? So what, what is written in the books is that the first point: prompt the person to say kalima. You don't tell them. You don't order them say la ilaha illallah, because sometimes they may not be mentally. How can you say? Um, aware and they may say things no I don't want to say kalima or I, I don't want to do this sometimes you know Alzheimer's and you know with the dementia they may not be they, not, they may not know what they're saying so the proper way that you know that the scholars have, uh, have advised is that when you know someone is passing away then you sit with them just pretend that you know our friend here is about to go so um, you sit next to his next to his ears next to the, the face uh, and say, La ilaha illallah, Muhammad Rasulullah, La ilaha illallah, La ilaha illallah, out loud, so that he can hear you. Sometimes, you know, when they are um, due to the medication, sometimes just due to their condition, they just can't respond. So don't force them, just say it. They may not be able to say it, but as long as they hear it, and this is what, you know, we find in the books, that as long as they hear it, inshallah, internally, at least they will verbalize it. Who knows, and inshallah, when they leave this world, they leave the world in the state of Iman. And, and that's our goal. That, that is one of our goals, to leave this world in the state of Iman. No matter what you've done now, no matter uh, you know, how many millions you may have spent for good causes, no matter how much Hajj you've done, how much Umrah you've done, and, but it's innamal amal bil khawatin. That's hadith, Prophet is saying, is that your actions are determined by what happens at the end. So we want someone to go in the state of Iman. Or if someone, even if someone has lived a, a sinful life, but now towards the end of his life he has the uh, inclination to repent. Who knows? You know, people towards the end of life, they, they, they're remorseful about their mistakes. Who knows? They, they may do tawbah and Allah will forgive them. So our task as the family members that are close by to someone who is terminally ill, I mean, sometimes, you know, when, when they're still well, they can talk and they can communicate. But towards the end, the, the final stage, we're talking about the final hours, the final minutes, they may not be able to speak at all. So at that stage, that's what we're referring to. That's when you do talqeen. Talqeen means that you say, La ilaha illallah, La ilaha illallah, La ilaha illallah, Muhammad Rasulullah. And, and you say that. So that at least they hear it, and then inshallah, you know, they will leave in the state of Iman. And then what we can do is we make dua for the prayers, you know, for the person that is passing away. Allahumma arhamhu, Allah may have easy upon him. Allahu yassillahu, make it easy for him. Uh, please forgive him and make dua for him. And say good things about him. We don't, even if you may not, you know, you do not get along with somebody, don't backbite somebody, especially someone who's going away. And in fact, you know, we make this announcement in many of our funerals, is that if someone, the marhum, if he said something or did something to you, please forgive them. And we're all humans. We've, we've, nobody's perfect. 
after the, the prophets, nobody's perfect. Even the Sahaba Kiram, you know, they, they had some, uh, how can you say, uh, some deficiencies here and there. So what our task as the people that are still alive, preparing for this brother or sister to go away, is that we forgive them, not have any grudge. Because these grudges will carry on in the Day of Judgment. And that's why, you know, there, there will be a court in the Day of Judgment where if you hold a grudge against somebody, then that, you, you know, they, you will not be sent to Jannah until that uh, problem is resolved between you two. Look, this person said this to me, I'm not going to talk to him. Or, you know, whatever. I mean, it happens. So the first thing we should do as the people that are outside, not the person that is passing away, is that we should forgive him. You know, we, we let him go, whatever he said, okay, inshallah, may Allah make it easy for him. And then, as I've said before, make the arrangements easy, you know, comfortable for him as possible. And responsibility for the relatives. Um, for someone who's been diagnosed with a terminal illness, it's usually, um, you know, they say time is the best of healers. So time gives you a chance to um, prepare for death. As compared to someone who, who has a sudden death, maybe a car accident, or maybe uh, you know, something happened and then, then it's a shock. So as far as the relatives, we should exhort them towards patience. Istirja means inna lillahi wa inna lillahi rajun. To say inna lillahi wa inna lillahi rajun. And that is the best of du'as when someone does pass away. Because it's, it's a reminder for us that now it's our brother's turn or, my, or the sister's turn, my mother, my grandmother, my grandfather, tomorrow will be my turn. So it, it helps us to um, pacify our emotions and helps us to understand, that, okay, look, this is not a, an end. Sometimes you think of death as an end. Death is, is not an end. Death is a transition. It's just as, you know, we give the example of, let's say, someone is going overseas. Many of us, you know, are from overseas. So if someone is going overseas for a while, they go, uh, you know, for a week or two, so you don't see them. Maybe it's your mom or your dad. Uh, but nowadays, you know, you have phones and, you know, Skype and whatever. But let's say, in the good old days, where they didn't have any phones. But at least you know, okay, they're coming back. After two, three weeks, they're coming back. So it's a departure for a, for a, uh, a set amount of time. So similarly here, it, 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 it's a departure for, it's not a permanent departure. It's a, it's a temporary departure. Even though that time frame may be longer than a trip to India or something, but it's still temporary. Because it's our belief, بِهِمْ this ayat to the Quran, Allah SWT is saying, those who believe and those whose children follow them in iman, alhaqnahum bihim. That we will unite them in, in the hereafter. In fact, that is one of the, the, the ni'mats of Jannat, is that we'll be re reunited with our loved ones. And just as we want to be re reunited with our elders in Prophet Muhammad and the Sahaba Kram and the elders, we also want to be reunited with our grandparents and, and our elders that passed away. So we, we should have this thing, okay, look, it, it's, she's gone. But it's a temporary departure. So we will meet them, maybe not tomorrow, maybe not in a year, maybe 10 years, but we will meet them. It's not an end. So that's how we can, inshallah, console ourselves. Um, and the next step, this is where we get to the, the nitty-gritty, you know, the, the, pra the practical aspects. First thing is, burial should be done as quickly as possible. Unlike a, an American um, funeral, Whereas typically, you know, it's between 7 to 10 days between the time someone passes away and between the time they're buried, they have this interval of, you know, average 7 to 10 days. You usually wait for the weekend. That's why if you've seen, or I've seen, we're trying to get a hearse on the weekend, they're all booked. Why? Because that's, they've 
uh, you know, people are already booking for the weekend. If someone's coming from overseas, somebody's coming from out of town. So, but in, in, in Islam, it should be uh, as soon as possible. Ikramul mayyit dafnuhu. The ikram for the deceased, the respect for the deceased is to bury him or her. Now, ideally, it should be done as soon as possible. Now, here, what does that mean, as soon as possible? Um, here, we'll get to that when we get to the end as far as the practical steps. Here in Chicago, um, most cemeteries are open Monday through Friday. Most of them are also open on Saturdays. Sundays, uh, many of the cemeteries are not open on Sundays. Um, there is one, the one in Elgin, they, they are open, mashallah, but they charge double overtime. So this is just information out there for you in case you know, you're planning, uh, you know, for uh, you know if someone is sick. You should know. Ideally, you should bury as soon as possible, um, unless you know there is a some legal delay. It's a medical examiner's case. Some of those are exceptional cases. Um, but if someone, you know, in fact, Alhamdulillah, if we get a call, usually even by seven, eight o'clock in the morning, we can bury the same day, and that is the ikram of the mayyit. That is the in respect. Honor of the deceased is to put them towards the final destination. And it comes in at these, why? Because if he is pious, then hasten him towards the, the reward that Allah has set for him in the grave. And if he's not so pious, then remove the ill effects of his bad deeds from the earth. That's why hastening towards burial, that, that's the proper way to do it. Um, some practical steps, options for delay, what we have here, um, embalming. We'll get to that at the end, that, that is important. Um, many funerals, if you don't go to a Muslim funeral, Alhamdulillah, here in Chicago and now in, in many cities, New York, Dallas, uh, California, uh, in Virginia, uh, Alhamdulillah, they have Muslims who take care of, of, the, of, of the deceased. But in some places like small towns, maybe like uh, Montana, Idaho, or even like Arkansas or someplace, you know, they, uh, in fact, no, just recently, we had one coming from, uh, where was this, North Carolina. Uh, and they were saying, no, you have to embalm. Embalming means, it, I mean, we'll, actually we'll discuss embalming a little later, um, because I, I, I don't want to get too, too graphic, but it's just that we, embalming they remove blood from the body, so it, Sharia wise, we should not embalm the body. But there are some legal, uh, practical um, substitutes that we can use: refrigeration, dry ice. Many of the, the you know the, the the funeral homes that we have here, they have refrigeration, so you can keep them under refrigeration even for a day or two if you have to, so you don't have to embalm. Um, okay, so now somebody was sick. Now he has passed away. He's breathed his last. His last breath is gone. Normally, when the, when they when, when they go, uh, you know the 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 breaths they come very short breaths. Like I don't know if anybody has ever experienced that. I mean, it's they, they come in short breaths, and that's the time when you should we should you know remind them uh, la ilaha illallah la ilaha illallah, and they slowly and slowly, and then they, they're not breathing anymore. So then what? What do we do next for the? The families that are there, first thing, close the eyes. It's a, the body goes, goes through a chemical change. It's called uh, rigor mortis. Rigor mortis where your body stiffens. It's not a, a, how can you say, it's not a mechanical effect. It's not your muscles tightening. It's more of a chemical effect that internally, what happens is your body stiffens up. So if sometimes, you know, when, when they pass, you know, when they're gone at, at the last breath, sometimes their eyes are open. Uh, 
um, then you should close the eyes. Sometimes, you know, if, if they're elderly, then what happens is, you know, the, the chin you, tends to sag. You know, the, 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 the mouth is left open. Sometimes, you know, people sleep, you know, they sleep with the mouth open too. So here, it's a good um, step that we should tie the chin. You see number two here. Tie the chin and the toes. Why? Could tie the chin close. Because otherwise, sometimes what happens, depending on the time period you have between the death and the burial, the mouth may be frozen open. Frozen in the sense that you may not be able to close. And you should also straighten the hands. Sometimes the hands are curved. Sometimes Some people you cannot do to whatever, you know, their, their, their medical condition. Sometimes, you know, the legs are, are bent. If it's possible, you should straighten out the legs and straighten out the hands. Because otherwise they may, they may freeze at that position. Um, and then obviously you make dua for them and you cover them. Just as this person is here, oh, he's not a person. But. Because even though they are gone, they still demand respect. In fact, you know, it's one of the... Um, Etiquette, as we come to, you know, when we get to the part about the washing, is that you should not cut the nails of someone who's died. Or even somebody says, oh, he needs a shave, or maybe just trim the hair a little bit. No. After someone's died, you cannot touch, you know, you, you cannot remove any part of their body. Um, in fact, even when someone is alive, you know, technically, um, you should not throw away your nails. Even now, when we're alive, when you, when you clip your nails, if you look in the books of fiqh, you should not just throw them in the toilet or throw them in the garbage. You should dispose of them properly. Um, so especially when someone has passed away. So it is out of their, out of respect for them that they should be covered. Especially ladies. Um, and they should not have any non-mahrams within their company. Mahram means um, those that are allowed to see them. So son, grandsons, brothers, nieces, you know, nephews, they're okay. But non-mahrams, some uncles and and they were and all this, they're technically non-madams, so they should not be viewing them. So out of respect for the body, you should cover them. So cover the body and, and tie the chin. And the toes, why the toes? Because sometimes, you know, the, the knees actually buckle up. And when the knees buckle up, then they freeze, and it's very hard to correct that when you're doing the wash. So ideally, just tie the big toes. Um, number five, hasten to make burial preparations. And in fact, this fifth point here, um, that can actually be done in advance. Many people that are under palliative care, hospice care, um, that have terminal conditions, they know, especially you know, like pancreatic cancer or uh, you know, end case, you know, end stage, you know, terminal illnesses. They know that they have a few weeks. They don't know exactly how much. Only Allah knows. Uh, but they know it's in the matter of days or, or weeks. So at that stage, this is where we recommend that the family members should get together, especially the close family members. If it's, if it's an elder in the family, the brothers and the sisters, they should get together. Um, and, and they should have these discussions. You know, okay, what should we do? We should, you know, sometimes we are so afraid of death that we don't even talk about it. Even though, I mean, it, it's clear, the guys, you know, it's, it's, it's end stage, uh, you know, at the end of his life, all the doctors have said, no, he only has a few hours left, a few days left, and still the, you know, the, the children are in denial. You know, as they say, you know, Debra, you've heard the you know, five stages of, uh, you know, of acceptance, denial, anger, bargaining, uh, and then at the end is acceptance. 
So the first state is a denial. A lot of people in this, oh no, it's not, it can't happen to, to my mom. Oh, it can't happen to my grandma. And then it happens. And then when it happens, then they're, they're, okay, then they're running around. Okay, now what do I do? So ideally, and that's one of the purposes behind this session here, is that we should be proactive. And have this discussion amongst yourself, even though, even though we're all healthy. Talk to you know, the, the parents and the, and the children, look, in case I die. And we're all going to die. Don't think, oh, no, no, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. Let's be frank. You know, so let's, let's talk about it. If, if I die, uh, what should we do? Just as we planned, you know, as far as estate planning, writing a will, what should we do? Where do you want to be buried? MashaAllah, and we'll get to the map a little bit later on. There's, uh, alhamdulillah, eight different cemeteries here in the Chicagoland area where the Muslims are buried. So what is convenient for your family? What is, is better for you as far as the location, as far as other factors? So discuss these things. And, and in fact, one thing uh, I didn't write on the PowerPoint, but it's just coming to my mind, which is very important. Uh, there's an organization called the Gift of Hope. I'm sure many of you have, have heard about them. Um, they, uh, it's called organ harvesting. Organ harvesting meaning they, uh, organ donation in the back of your driver's license. You know, they, they used to, I don't know if they do it nowadays, that it was you give, basically giving them permission to take your organs. I'm not getting into the fiki discussion of can you donate your organs or not. That's a longer discussion. But you should be aware, especially in the city of Chicago, in the suburbs, it's not as much. In the city of Chicago, the gift of hope, actually, if they know, if you have signed off on your driver's license, or if unwillingly, so a lot of times, you know, people, when they go to the hospital, obviously sick people go to the hospital. Healthy person is not going to say, oh, let me spend the weekend in the hospital. No. So when they go to the hospital, they, you sign a lot of forms. And sometimes un unknowingly you may sign a form for this gift of hope. So what happens with the gift of hope is they will come in and they will take parts of your body. And legally, even your son, even your wife, they would not have the, the right to say no. Because they say, look, your, your dad signed. They say, no, no, we, we don't. What, what do they take? Literally, they take your eyes. They take your bone marrow. They take, uh, what else do they take? Uh, these are the, the important ones I remember offhand. Eyes. You won't even know. I mean, when you come in, you, you know, the, your deceased is, you know, he's dead. His eyes are closed. You're thinking, oh, he has his eyes. When you, when you, when you raise the eyes, there's caps in the eyes. They've actually taken the, they've taken the eyes. And then what they do with it, that's a whole different story. But I'm just giving you a, you know, a, a warning that we should discuss these things. And ask the ulama here, mashallah, we're fortunate you know, to have muftis. Ask them, what is the, the Islamic ruling on organ donations? So, but if they, because if you don't, what's going to happen is they come in, and before you know it, and they, and, you know, and they have contracts with different hospitals. Here, I'm talking about today, 2015, in the USA. I'm not talking about, you know, India where somebody's selling his kidneys for, you know, a few thousand rupees. No, no, that happens. Um, this is practical living. People are doing that. To people, they have no money. I, I need to sell my kidney. That's how people make money. Just as, you know, they have, uh, you know, surrogate pregnancies. That's what people do. I'm not talking, that's the, I'm not talking about the, here, in this country. This is what's happening. So you need to be aware of that. So what they do, you know, they take your bone marrow. So what they do is, I mean, you won't even know it. They cut your leg and they take out the bone. The, the tibia and the fibula, the two bones of, of, of the feet. And they just put in... Uh, Wooden rods, it's wood. So you, and, and they stitch it back up. So when you're, you're doing the whistle, you say, oh, something is here. But it's not his bone, it's, 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 a, it's a piece of wood. 
So that's just a piece of caution. You know, I'm just throwing it out there for you. So talk about these things. Talk with your family. Where do you want to be buried? How do you want to do this? And, uh, and, and who should be there for the ghusl and stuff, as we, you know, will come later on. So hasten to make burial preparations. So the reason why I brought that up is we should be talking about these burial preparations now, even before we die, even before we have terminal. Definitely people my age, I'm an old man now. But even, even young guys, uh, people older than me, they, they should be talking about this stuff. And, and the younger ones, you know, maybe, uh, you know, they, they, should, they should know about this. Um, where, you know, where, especially you know, people with big families, you know, where are our other family members buried? My nana and dada are here, and my, you know, my poopy is here, and my uncle is here. Do you want to be together? You know, these are things you should talk about. Um, so that's five and six. Burial preparations and, uh, and the burial arrangements. So there's two separate things, and we'll get to that later. Uh, and then the last point here, assign someone to take care of outstanding debts. That's something that the marhum should be thinking of. And as we, you know, even uh, before we get old, as I mentioned, these are things we should be, tell, you know, thinking about. If I owe somebody money, you should have it in writing. Look, I owe this person this much money, and if I die, you need to pay him money. And this is, you know, this is also the laws of inheritance. We don't have time to cover that here. But um, the order for the distribution of inheritance, let's say somebody has, uh, you know, $200,000. Let's say he has a million dollars, whatever it may be. The house costs half a million, then he has, a, he has some cars, he has this and that. But the proper order of the distribution of assets is that first, his liabilities are taken out. Let's say you have a million dollars, but you owe, uh, you know, you still have a mortgage on the house, you still owe, you're still paying for your car, you still have credit card debt, you still have student loans that you still haven't paid. So these are things that need to be taken out before you can distribute the assets. So these are things that need to make made clear. I mean, if something is set, I mean, these, the credit card companies are not going to, uh, they're not going to forget. You know, they, they send the bills, they make the collection calls, they won't forget. But if it's like a personal loan, you, you borrow some money from a friend or some relative, have it in writing. And make it clear, look, I owe this person money, make sure before the inheritance is distributed, make sure he gets his money before you get it. Okay? Inshallah. So now, the person has died, and we are ready to now to do the washing. Now, as far as the practical step will be, um, I don't know, because of a group this size, it may not be practical to just, uh, I don't know, we'll see. Towards the end, we will actually have a practical demonstration how to do the washing and how to do the, the coven. Inshallah, the sisters will also have that. Uh, and, and in fact, I, I will um, uh, have a tashkil. Tashkil is a technical term for those who know, they understand what I'm doing here. Um, I'm going to ask for volunteers that uh, to help wash you know, our, our, our neighbors here. Neighbors in the sense that there are many people here who die and they don't have anybody to, they don't have any relatives. They don't have anybody to wash them. So what I would ask is if you have time to maybe sign up and we'll pass out a list at the end where we would ask for volunteers. And the sisters especially, the men, you know, we still have enough volunteers, but especially the sisters, it becomes an issue that a sister dies, and obviously only a sister can wash a sister. Even, even the husband cannot wash, you know, his wife. Uh, so only a sister can wash a sister. Let's say somebody dies, they don't have any other relatives. 
and he they don't have a daughter, they don't have a sister, and so, so what happens? So that's our responsibility for the kafaya. It's the responsibility of the whole Muslim nation. The one point whatever billion Muslims that are there, if one person dies, they're all responsible for doing his kafin and his janazah. But even if one person does it, that whole group has been absolved of that responsibility. So that's why I just want to put a plug in here for people who are interested, uh, you know, in, in doing this, uh, to do the washing. It's just a volunteer, you, you know, you volunteer one hour of your day, uh, you know, one hour of your time throughout the day, and you basically, you get salam. It, 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 it's, a, it's a good deed. Um, but we'll cover that how to do it, but I'm just keeping that in mind, especially for the sisters, that, uh, you know, if, if you have some time, you know, to come and volunteer your time, and, and you get, inshallah, rewards from Allah. So now the person's passed away, now he's ready to be washed. So what happens? Um, we'll just do a little, I'll just point through here, and then inshallah we'll do a practical later on. So the person should be laid down in the washing. Um, in the old books, as you know, in the books of fiqh, in Quduri and in Hidayah and Kanz and all the, you know, the, the, the classical books, um, what they've written is that you should have a takht. Takht means you have a plank. This is a table, um, but you, you, you'll have a plank and then you, you, dunni, uh, what's it called? You, uh, aroma, you know, you've seen the agarbatis, uh, what's it called in English? Uh, the essence, you know, the essence sometimes you light and it, it has perfume. So basically what they say is you, you put aroma on the wooden plank and then you basically is, is to, so, because sometimes, you know, the, when somebody is towards the end of their life, they may not be able to take care of their personal hygiene as much as they, they would like to themselves. Maybe they, they might have, uh, a, a, you know, urinary leakage or maybe, you know, some bowel movement and, uh, they, you know, they, they, they may smell. So that's why the, 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 the wisdom behind that is just to, so that way we're not uh, influenced by, the, by, by that smell. So anyway, uh, we lay them down and we cover the aura. We'll cover that at the end. We'll just go this as quickly. But basically we'll cover the aura. Aura means... Uh, there are certain parts of the body that should be covered at all times. Um, for a man, it's from the navel to the knees. For a woman, it's the whole, basically the whole body except the, you know, the, uh, the hands and the feet and the, and, and the facial plane. Um, so that part will be covered. So even though, you know, as we uh, will progress through this, even though we'll be undressing them, we'll be taking off their clothes, but they'll still be covered. I mean, you need to understand this, because that, again, that's part of the respect of the deceased. That he cannot protect his honor now. He cannot, you know, even though, uh, you know, he may not be able to, to cover himself now. So it's our responsibility at those that are alive to, to, um, to monitor him, is that they, they're, they're, especially their private parts should be covered throughout the whole, the whole part. Um, so what happens, many people, that, you know, they pass away in the hospitals, and they wear the hospital gowns, or if you pass away at the home, you, know, you wear, you know, whatever, your, your, your clothes. So what happens is, before you start the washing, you would cover their, their private parts. We usually use a dark covered cloth, because if you use a white cloth, and it gets wet, you know, how, you know, you can sometimes see through the body. So we use a, a dark covered cloth, and then you take off the rest of the, uh, of the clothes. And a lot of times, especially if you're in, in a hospital, they have IVs, and they have patches, uh, and they have other stuff in them, all of that comes off. Unless it's very hard to take, like the, uh, uh, the ports they put in for like chemotherapy, 
those are subcutaneous, you know, they're, they're under the skin. That you should not. Uh, but uh, those, you know, the IVs, that you should take out as much as you can. Um, after you take that out, sometimes they will bleed, especially if they're in the arteries, uh, you know, the femoral, even down here, sometimes in the carotid arteries. They, when they come in, when they come out, they, they bleed. So let them bleed. And normally, if, if, it's, uh, if it's not, if there's no uh, pressure from the gas, you know, it, it tends to stop bleeding by itself. Although exceptional cases, when it continues to bleed, we can maybe discuss that, you know, later. Uh, but basically, you're, you're uncovering them, undressing them all the way. Then you're covering the private parts. Um, and then it, it is preferred, I mean, back in the old days, they used to apply pressure, you know, in the stomach because through that pressure, if something was coming out through, through the anus, if something was coming out, it will, it will come out. But nowadays, people that spend uh, days or sometimes even weeks in the hospitals or in the nursing homes, it's just that, you know, they're fed through the tubes and, you know, those, that effect that was usually there due to the food is usually not there. So the bodies that come in, you know, through uh, extended stays in hospital and stuff, they usually are pretty emaciated. Uh, it may seem they're very skinny and they, they usually don't have anything coming out. But it's just part of the procedure. You need to press a little bit. So if something's coming out, it does come out. And sometimes, uh, especially for the ladies, for the men, it's not much of an issue. But for the ladies, you know, they should unbraid the hair. So that way when you do the washing, the, the hair, all the hair is washed to the roots of the hair. Next, so now that was just the, this was just the preparation for the washing. Now we do the washing. And the washing is simple. There's no, how can you say, it's not a ritual, you have to do this this many times and you have to hop on one leg and you have to, no, it's nothing like that. It's, it's uh, you know, Dean is simple. Dean is simple. It's basically a simple wash. What is it? First you wash the, the private parts. Uh, simple soap and water. In the old days, uh, what's written in the books is Araq al-Sidr. Araq al-Sidr means uh, the, the berry leaves. Um, you can get them here, but they are very expensive. Uh, we do have them. You actually, you can get them from Saudi. Um, that they're they're aromatic and they're also um, beneficial to how can you say to, to 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 stop the body, you know, from from bleeding and stuff. So it's good for you know, and and, and it's it's uh, it's cooling for the body also. So anyway, nowadays we use soap as a substitute. So you, you first, basically three parts of the ghusl. First you clean the private parts, then you do wuzu. Um, exception to the wuzu would be, you know, for uh, if, uh, you know, like in autopsy cases, or, and, and, and we'll cover those a little bit later on. And then, so basically you, you wash the private parts, you do wuzu, regular wuzu for salah. And then you wash the whole body. Here, when, when you wash the body, you have to be careful that not to get water inside the mouth. Because then the water sometimes, you know, depending on your cause of death, depending on how you pass away, sometimes, you know, you have fluids coming out of the mouth, sometimes fluids come out of the nose. Um, so you can, if you want, you can plug the nose or plug the mouth. Um, and that's why, you know, somebody asked me it earlier that sometimes, you know, they... They remember the bodies that they've seen, uh, you know, after they were washed. They always have cotton balls in their nose and their, uh, in their mouth. That's not necessarily, uh, it doesn't have to be. If something is leaking, you can, you can cover the mouth, you can cover the nose. But if not, you, you, you know, the nose can be left open and even the ears can be left open. Only if there is a fear that there may be some leakage of bodily fluids, then you should cover up. 
Um, so then you wash the whole body, starting from the head to the feet, first the right side, then the left side. Um, wash three times, and we'll, you know, we'll cover that later. Dry the body. And you should, when you dry the body, you should be careful not to rub. You know, normally when we you know, take a shower, you rub, your, you, you, know, you, you rub the towel. But sometimes due to you know, your cause of death, sometimes if you rub, the skin may come off. It's actually a phenomenon. It's called skin slip. Yeah, you know, um, so normally, you know, for the deceased, we just pat, pat dry. Um, and then we put ithar for the men. The ladies, they, they should not use perfume. Uh, for the men, uh, you can put perfume on the places that touch the ground when you do sajda. So the forehead, the, the nose, the palms, the knees, and the feet. Or you can put kafur here. Um, as you'll see, you know, at the end. Um, kafur is basically, um, it's like powder. It's a very, powder is, is used for scent. Uh, so there's different ways of using it. Uh, you can mix it in water, water mixture with the powder, and then you can wash the last, uh, you know, the last rinse you can do with the water mixture of kafur, or you can just use the powder just for the scent. Um, okay, so now that the body's been washed, then we shroud the body. And again, we'll cover this in detail uh, in practically um, later on at the end. But just so you understand, um, it's the shrouding is a very simple shroud. In fact, I don't know if you remember, just a few few days ago, in fact, how much has it been? About two weeks, King Abdullah of Saudi, you know, he passed away. Uh, and they were showing that how he was buried in a simple white cloth. A billionaire king of a whole country, but he's buried in a simple white cloth. As compared to, you know, the people where Michael Jackson died and he had a, you know, a gold-plated casket and people, you know, who have all the, you know, it's, it's not, there's no virtue in having an expensive funeral. You know, the average, we'll get to that later, we'll get to the numbers later on. Here, the average American funeral is like eight to $15,000. And a lot of that is for show, just as in marriage, you know, you spend, you know, so much money, that's mostly just for show, to show the people. But Allah knows. Well, Allah knows. So simplicity is the best. So even for the cloth, you know, it's considered it should be a white, simple cloth. It shouldn't even be a, you know, it should, obviously silk is haram for men anyway, but nothing fancy. And uh, caskets, you don't need caskets. <coughs> we'll get to that at the end. Um, we don't need boxes to bury uh, here. And there's no law. We'll get to that at the end. But just, just so you know, in case you're not from you know, Chicago, if you're from out of town, there's no law that says you have to bury in a casket. It's all the way these guys make money. So, and it's simplicity. If you really want to spend money, if you really want to show your mom that, Mom, I really love you, give some money in her name for sadhgah. Give some money to the poor. Give some, give some money to, to an orphan. Give, put, set up a scholarship. If you have money, set up a scholarship fund in her name. Uh, sponsor some orphans in, you know, in an orphanage. Especially nowadays, you know what's happening in the Muslim Ummah, you know, in Syria and Iraq and all these places. There's many people that, that, that can use the money. So rather than spending thousands on a casket, on a box, that you're only going to see for an hour or two and it's going to go in the ground, you know, forever, spend that money on somebody who needs it. So anyway, the simplicity of, of, of Islam, that's its attraction. So the men, they should be buried in three sheets. 
What are they? We'll cover that in detail when, when we get to the, uh, the practical example. It's basically three sheets. One just covers the, the neck to the, to, the, to the knees, and then one from the head to the toe, and the third from beyond the head to beyond the toes. And that's what it's used to tie. Basically just tie like, you know, like a candy bar, like a tootsie roll, and that's it. And then you tie in the middle. For the ladies, they have two extra pieces of cloth, and the ladies can discuss that, you know, inshallah, in, in their session later on. But this is just, just so you know, it's, that there's no fancy requirements, there's no fancy rituals. You have to read this ayat here, you have to read this here. And we'll cover that at the end before we get to the, uh, you know, the practical aspect of, you know, certain mistakes that people make. That there's no certain ayat you have to read, there's no certain dua you have to read during the ghusl. Yes, there may be some etiquettes when you get to the cemetery. Yes, we'll cover that you know, when, when that comes in. But there's no special dua that you have to say um, while you're doing ghusl. Uh, or, you know, so it's just a simple washing. Basically, you're, you're, you're rushing them towards their final destination. Okay, so now they've passed away. We've done, their, uh, we've done the ghusl. We've done the kafan. We've put the, the shroud on them. Now we take them towards the, uh, for their janazah. So... Carrying the janazah, this is also important. It is sawab. Sawab means you, there is a word. It's, it's actually, you know, subhanAllah, it's, it's the wisdom of, of, of this deen. That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives sawab for doing things that are practical. You know, to give money to the poor, that's, you, you get sawab for it. You are rewarded for that. Even though the poor will benefit, but you are rewarded. So, you know, you are rewarded for helping somebody in need. So similarly here, it's, it's encouraged for us to help those that, uh, you know, to, to accompany a funeral. The, the, that is a sawab. It says to do a ghusl and to, to um, participate in the, in the janazah and to participate in the burial. It comes it's straight at these. Qirat, qiratain. The Prophet said, the hadith will come later on, is that uh, he who participates in a janazah, he will get the uh, sawab of one qirat. What is one qirat? Qirat is equivalent to the mountain of Uhud. Um, and he who does the the janaza, and he goes to the cemetery burial. He gets the reward of qiratain, two qirat. So as much as we can, you know, we should we should try to participate. So we we, we go in procession. But here, certain etiquettes: don't weep loudly. A lot of times, in fact, I don't know if you, even in this culture, you know, it, it's more of a show. But not just here. You know, in Japan, they actually have professional whalers. Whalers mean not W H A L E. W-A-I-L. Uh, they have people who, who come and they cry in people's funerals. They say, oh, he was such a pious man. Oh, we'll miss him. Oh, we'll miss him. And they, it's, all, it's, all a, it's all an act. Just to show people, oh, this was such a pious man. This was such a, you know, such a, uh, you know. So Allah knows. Allah knows our amal. There's no need to, to pretend for people. Uh, so if he's good, Allah knows he will be rewarded. If he's not good, then Allah will punish him. No matter how much you do to put on an act or a show and to, you know, to, to put on a theater, it's not going to benefit him. So here also, um, as far as the etiquette, one question that came up is um, crying. Crying is natural. You know, we're all humans and humans have emotions and crying is an expression of sorrow. Um, Prophet Sallallahu uh, you know, he had a son, 
uh, you know, he had four daughters, two sons that previously was a Khadija radiallahu anha, they passed away. And later on towards the end, he had another son, his name was Ibrahim. And he passed away when he was young, as an, uh, you know, as an infant. The Prophet, so when he passed away, he had him in his hand and he wept. And their tears, you know, they came out of the eyes of Prophet Sallallahu The Sallam said, you know, they asked him, Ya Rasulullah, ma hadha? Oh, Master Allah, what is this? Because, you know, some people, especially the men, they think, you know, we, we have to, it's not, it's, it's unmanly to, you know, to show our emotions. You know, we, 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 you know men don't cry. Uh, no, it, it's okay. But, especially, you know, the ladies, they are more emotional and, and they're, you know, they're, they're uh, how can you say, uh, they're affected by this more. So, Weeping is okay in the sense that you, you, you can have tears, but as long as you don't make noise. Wailing, wailing means to just, you know, making noise and, and crying and screaming. That is not allowed. That, that is not allowed. And if, uh, in fact, that is one of the wisdoms of not having the ladies come to the, um, how can you say, the, the, the burial, the grave itself. They can come in later on. But you know, there's many other wisdoms as far as the mixing of the men and women. But just that at that time, especially when someone has passed away, they're very emotionally raw. And when they see somebody, you know, when sometimes, you know, they, um, you know, somebody's being put into the grave and the dirt has been put on, you know, that's when it hits you. Okay, now I'm not going to see you anymore. And then, you know, then they start crying. Um, so if, if you can control your emotions, then that's okay. But if you cannot, then it's better to not have them there. Uh, and in fact, you know, to, to be honest, we should have youngsters. Youngsters should come to the, the funerals. In fact, some people, you know, I've heard them say, No, Abhita Bacha is so young, we don't want him to see grandpa. You know, he, he was there and now he's dead. No, they should know. They should be there. They should participate in the washing. They should see, okay, now he's gone. Death is something that is, is coming to me. Unlike the, you know, the, the, the common culture here, in the American culture, you know, if you see if someone passes away, they see them in the hospital, and the next time they see them is in the funeral home, you know, three, four days later on, and that's when they've already been embalmed, and they have the suit and tie and the makeup on, and they say, okay, you know, that's what we want to see. But the, the Islamic ways, though, you should remember them in their good times. Remember them when they were healthy. Remember them when they were sick. And we should do our, the khidmat of our elders, but also remember them when they're gone. They should be reminded that, look, I will go tomorrow, and someone else will go tomorrow. And the, the kids should understand that. Rather than just saying, you know, some people say, oh, tell them, oh, he's sleeping. No, he's not sleeping. He's dead. Death is different than sleep. They should understand the concept of death. Somebody, you know, kids really young, two, three, four, five years, maybe not. But definitely eight, nine, ten years old, they're old enough to understand these concepts. And definitely teenagers, they, they, sh they should be there. So, um, as far as the, uh, the etiquettes of carrying the janazah, um, there's, you, you can do some zikr, you can say, La ilaha illallah, Muhammad so you, 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 you can say some zikr, but quietly. Some people they come in and say, uh, No, that's not the proper way. Uh, you can say the Kalmashad. Kalmashad is La ilaha So don't just say Kalmashad. Some people, you know, don't, don't use the title, it's, uh, you know, it's, uh, uh, but rather than saying, you should say the words. But don't, not out loud. It, it's not, uh, it should be, it's a silent zikr. 
And we get to that when we get at the end, we get to the, you know, the, the common mistakes. Then we go to the place of prayer quickly, um, walk to the janazah, the transportation. Actually, one point I want to bring up here, um, in the books of fiqh, uh, it's written that it's makru to pray in a masjid. And that is true. Why is that? Because when someone passes away, you know, the, the body continues to, you know, how can you say, uh, it begins to decompose. In fact, subhanAllah, this is the, the wisdom of Allah. Just as, you know, I am exhaling carbon dioxide and I am inhaling oxygen. But my exhale is the fuel for the trees. They're, in, you know, they're, they're taking in the carbon dioxide and then they're letting out the oxygen. It's a system, perfect system that Allah SWT has set up. So our, you know, our urea, our bathroom is actually nutrition for the ground. That's why if you go to, you know, the old, uh, the old ways in the old farms in the old lands, you know, they, people just go to the bathroom outside and that actually fertilizes the ground. In fact, it's recently in Vermont, people, one farmer is paying people to pee on his farm. Believe it or not. It, it, it's natural urea. Here they use artificial urea, you know, you pay, you know, I don't know how many, uh, lots of money for artificial urea and then they fertilize the ground. But Allah SWT has set up the system that our refuse is actually good for the ground. So the reason I brought that up is that similarly, when someone passes away, the body when it decomposes is actually good for the ground. Unlike what they're doing now, you know, subhanAllah, if you go to these cemeteries, um, most of them, they're buried in a cement box. It's literally, it's almost like a parking lot under, underground. So the body is trapped inside that cement box. So, you know, and this is the, the system that Allah has set up. That, you know, the same nutrients that help, you know, um, digest our food when we eat, the same bacteria are now, someone, Allah is, you know, the Amr of Allah is there. When He takes away the life, that same bacteria start to decompose the body. That's when the body starts to, you know, you, you have the gases, the nitrogen gas, and the, the stomach bloats, and, um, and, 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 you know, that's when decomposition sets in. So, um, ideally, you know, we should be burying without, you know, all these cement boxes in this. But it's just that, in Chicagoland, there, we don't have a cemetery that allows us to bury without a cement box. All the cemeteries here, all the eight, nine Muslim cemeteries. Actually, to be honest, we don't have any Muslim cemetery in Chicagoland, believe it or not. With the estimates of over 400 and 500,000 Muslims that are here, we have you know, seven, eight different sections. We don't have a complete Muslim cemetery. We have sections of cemeteries, like here in, uh, in Elmhurst and in Oak Park Terrace. Oakbrook Terrace in Elgin, uh, in Darien, uh, in Rose Hill, you know, Peterson Cemetery, many of the, you know, the brothers the, the, close to Devon, you know, the, the old cemetery. All that, they require. It's not a law. In fact, again, there's no law that says you have to have a cement box. But it's just the way these guys, it's just a money-making thing. Um, so, um, so it's just, it's just something to keep in mind. So, so when you go, so I was mentioning why is makru to, you know, to, to do janazah in a masjid. So the, because the body decomposes, 
and because we sometimes the bodily fluids are leaked, that's why if a dead body is brought inside a masjid, there may be some defecation, there may be some bile, there may be some other fluids leaking in the masjid. You don't want that leaking in the masjid because you're going to be praying in that same place. Um, but here, in, in especially here in, in, in the northern part of the country, in, in the USA, in, in the cold part, especially now, you know, five degrees outside, you know, uh, we pray inside the masjid with this stipulation that we're not going to be messing up the, the masjid. So sometimes, if the, you know, especially if there's an autopsy case, as we get to later on, autopsy is, is literally when, where they cut up the body and they, um, and they take samples from different organs of the body. So when, when the body is autopsied, it, it bleeds. You know, a lot of the blood is leaking. Um, so if you bring that body inside of a masjid, you'll have blood inside the masjid, and blood is najis, and najis you can't pray on, you know, you won't be able to pray on them. So that's the, the, the rationale behind the fatwa, you know, of mukru praying inside the masjid. So ideally back in, in the old countries, the way they would pray janazah would be in a field, just as they would pray Eid. Eid would be out in a field. Um, outside of the city limits. But, because we don't ho- have those facilities here, that's why many of the masjids here, they pray inside the masjid. And not inside the masjid prayer hall area. Like for example, uh, if you go to the foundation or in Berkeley, they go in the basement. Um, they, you know. But there is some concession that if you, know, if you have to, especially if it's very cold outside, and um, then you can, then there is some concession that you can. But even today, in the, the Bosman community, if you notice, uh, when they do their janazah, even now in the winter, in fact, just last week we had a janazah, in the winter they, they pray outside in the cemetery. Um, there's, there's rules of praying within a cemetery also. You don't want to be praying towards a grave. You don't want to be, but you know, as long as you have a clear area. So ideally, the, the, that should be the way it should, you know, it should be done. So we're transporting, you know, so now we brought the body, after we've done the washing, we brought the body to the place of Janazah. Um, okay, let's just cover this up quickly, and then I want to give you some time for questions. Um, janazah, Janazah prayer, uh, we get to here. It's a simple prayer, there's no azan, or kamad, no ruku, or sajda. Basically, you're standing up, and Imam will say Allah four times, after each Takbir, there's something to say. Um, you can read this, the dua which you normally read you know, in our prayer. Subhanakallahumma bihamdika wa tabaraka asmuka wa ta'ala jadduka wa jallathanauka. You add this phrase, wa la ilaha ghayruka. Or uh, this is a fiqhi masra, Imam Shafi, Surah Fatiha, no problem. They're all okay. Uh, second takbir, Durud Ibrahim, Allahumma sallallahu Muhammad wa ala ali Muhammad, all the way to the end. Then third takbir is duas. Uh, and this is where you know, institutions such as this, they come in handy or definitely we should be encouraged to learn deen. We should teach our children. Uh, you know, just as um, Ibn Masood says, the Prophet Muhammad taught us the Salatul Istikhara as he taught us the ayat of the Quran. This is not Quran, but Prophet Muhammad teaching the Sahaba Ikram duas. Istikhara is a special dua, you know, if you need to make any major decision in your life, you, you should pray two rakat and you say this dua. So similarly, we should teach our children, uh, you know, they, they may know, you know, who's, uh, who's going to be playing in the All-Star game, you know, this weekend. They may know who's, you know, what's happening in the Super Bowl. But do they know these duas? I don't know. 
So there's, there's a whole list of du'as here, inshallah, if you want, you know, we can give them to you. There's a whole list of, you know, most of us just know this one, the first one. Allahumma fili hayyina mayyitina wa shahidina qad. Most of us just know this one. But Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, alhamdulillah, as far as many du'as. There's a whole list of du'as here. Um, and then for children, there's uh, separate du'as. Those that are, that die before puberty, there's separate du'as. Actually, I'm just going to rush to the end, because I know... You have questions, and this certain part I want to cover, and then we'll cover this, and then um, we can cover it towards the end. Burial. Um, Muslims should be buried. That sounds like a no-brainer, but I don't know if you know, 40, over 45%, this was last year, now this year, I think, I think 48%, 48% of Americans cremate rather than burying. Cremation means, bur literally, they're, they're burning, they're, they're dead. Um, so uh, why that is, is the whole history behind that. But just, just so you know, a lot of times, um, especially infants when they die, if someone, if, if ladies have a miscarriage or if there's babies that die, um, then what the hospital does is they said, we will take care of them. But you should be, ask them, what are you going to do with, with, the, with the body? And they, they tell you normally they, they cremate the bodies. Um, so even babies, they should be buried. Even if, it's, even if the baby was not born alive, even if it was a fetal death, babies should be buried. Um, so anyway, that was, sounds like a no-brainer, but I'm just putting it out there because we've had an instance. In fact, just right now, there was an instance, somebody, um, I don't want to go too much in detail, because it was a, it was a, it was a couple, the, the husband died, and the, and the, the children, they say, okay, it's, it's cheaper to cremate. They cremated their mother. Their mother has has been cremated. Now the, now the father was also going to be doing the same thing until, unless the whole family got involved and said, no, no, you, you can't do that. And so we've already done it. The mom was already cremated. So now the family has interfered and now they say, okay, at least for your father, we will help you. But, you know, one of the main reasons for, um, for this decision, in fact, you think, you know, this is a Christian country and Christian, even Catholics, technically, they do not cremate. Jews definitely do not. According to their teachings, but practically speaking, they are. Uh, you know, uh, they have niches. Niches meaning they have places for cremains in Catholic cemeteries, which is completely against their own teachings. Why is that? The primary reason is economics. It's cheaper. It's cheaper to cremate. So if, if, the, if the mother dies or the father dies and the children are getting some money, so they don't want to spend uh, you know, $8,000 or $10,000 in a typical American funeral, they say, we'll just spend two, $3,000, we'll get the money, it doesn't matter, you know, wherever mom is gone, anyway. Um, so we, you know, as far as the Muslims, we, you know, we, we should be careful, especially you know, educating. Alhamdulillah, now there is you know, institutions such as this, masjids and madrasas and schools are here, alhamdulillah. Uh, there is a lot of, um, uh, I would say we are more aware of this issue than some other places. But if you go to like sparsely populated Muslim areas like in, in, the, in the far Midwest or in where there's not urban areas, then you find where Muslims are there and then that's, that's what they find up doing. Um, so we should be careful. One, buried obviously, um, as I mentioned before, we don't have any um, complete Muslim cemetery here in Chicagoland. Um, there's a du'a for putting aside the grave. I was going to show you, Han, this is important. The sunnah of the grave is what you see in the bottom here. 
this uh, here. This is called lahd. If you see this here, this is the, the ground. This is the pit. Normally we think, oh, you just put the, the guy inside the ground, you cover him with the dirt. No, it's not what happens. In Jannat al-Baqi, Baqi al-Gharqat in Medina, and uh, in Jannat al-Mu'alla in Mecca, uh, and in other places where the ground is hard, this is the proper way to, to bury. What happens is that inside the grave, you dig, you dig another side crevice. This here, this is called the lahad. And then the body is actually placed in that crevice. It's not placed here. So the body is placed here, and then they put some sort of a slab, so that way the dirt doesn't go on the body itself, and then this whole thing is filled with dirt. But this can only be accomplished if the ground is hard enough to accommodate this sort of a structure. Because if you can, as you can see, if this is not hard, this will fall, obviously. So you know, the, the terrain in, uh, in Saudi and other places, uh, in the mountainous areas, is usually harder. But here in the Midwest, this, the ground is very soft. I'm sure you know, if you go out in your backyard, you know, especially in the, in the spring, it's all wet, um, snow melts. So the alternative to lahad is shiq. <coughs> shiq actually is two types of shiq. One is this, and the other is this. So this is the grave itself. Inside the grave, you have another subgrave, another pit. So the body is actually placed here, inside here. You see that? It's not placed in here. And then you cover the body with some sort of a covering, maybe some planks of wood, and then the grave goes on top of that. Or you can do this way on the side and then put the plank here and the, and the, uh, and the dirt goes here. But the sad reality is that here in Chicago, we are not doing either. Obviously, lahad we can't do because of the, the moisture in the ground. But shik we're not doing also because here, as I mentioned earlier, this area, they put a cement box in here. So we're not just putting inside the, you know, the, the grave. It's a cement box that goes here and the body actually goes inside that cement box. <coughs> and in most of the cemeteries, the cement box is covered with a lid. Except for the one in Darien, actually, they put upside down. What do I mean by that? Um, let me show. Like this. Let's say this is the grave. So, this is the cover. So, the cover actually comes off, just like a shoebox. You take the cover of the shoebox off, the body goes inside, and then the cover is placed on top of that. Then the dirt is placed on top of that. So, the body is not actually touching the ground. In some places, what they try to do is actually you could dig a hole in the bottom. It's called an orthodox um, grave box where the, you know, the body is actually then through the, the bottom is actually going to the ground. Or what happens in, in Darien actually, their system is that they don't have a cover. It, it's, it's uncovered. And what they do is they lower the, the box on top of the body. So the body goes inside. Then they put the cement box on top of them. So it's, it's empty. It's an empty cavity, so the body is there, and then the whole box you know, surrounds the sides. Um, but either way, it's not close to this. This is just the, I'm just pointing out to you that this is the reality we have here in, in Chicago. Um, uh, inshallah, that's something we, we, we can work on. Graveyards, when you come to the graveyards, there's certain, um, there's du'as that you can say. Uh, I just wanted to mention the second point here about the ladies coming to the graves. Um, 
Ladies can come to the grace. Kuntum nuhaytum. Prophet Sallallahu there's a hadith that I used to stop you. Why? And this whole, you know, the ulama can, you know, they can explain that. Is that, like I mentioned earlier, ladies are more emotional. Um, so, what the ulama are saying is that at the time of burial, when someone dies, when someone you're bringing him in, and you have tens and sometimes even hundreds of people coming in, at that time, it's better not to have the ladies there. Because usually the men are there, they're the ones that are carrying the, you know, the, the body, they're the ones that are putting them inside the grave, and then you don't want to have the mixing of the men and the women. At that time, the ladies should, be, uh, should not be there. Now, one practical question arises, well, you know, they came to the, to the masjid to see, the, you know, to see the, gra- the grandpa, but now they don't have time to drop them back home before the janazah. So what, what can you do? Well, they can stay in the car. They, they can stay in the car after the rush has subsided, then the relatives, they, then the ladies can come inside and they, they can pay their respects if they want to. Uh, and then you have many du'as here, you can read those. Um, condolences. Um, that's something, as I mentioned earlier, now, as uh, relatives of someone who has passed away, we would want what is best for him or her. So what, what can we do for them? Ideally is to increase their amal. Just as you know, hadith comes about, about Sadaq Qajar, when someone has died, their amal is finished. Their book of deeds has been closed now, except for three things. You know, the, the uh, Sadaq Qajar. That, any ilm that you have taught, any good that you have done, and, uh, and, and obviously your pious children. Um, so for the people that are alive, if they want to honor their, 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 their elders, then they can maybe give some sadaqah in their name. If someone has not done hajj, they can do hajj in their name. Um, if someone has, has missed prayers, just as I mentioned earlier, this is something you should confide in your children. If you're older and you've missed maybe years of prayers, let's say you didn't pray for 10 years or 20 years, or uh, you missed fasting in Ramadan, then you have to give fidya. And this is speci- uh, key especially for, for ladies. You know, ladies sometimes, you know, they're not praying, uh, if that happens to come around in Ramadan, then they have to make up those, those, uh, those days that they've missed. So, that should be communicated to your family members. That look, you know, I, I, I missed two years of prayers, or I missed two months of prayers. And you can know, if someone is sick, obviously they're not praying. You know, you know okay, during the last few weeks of their, of their life, they were not praying. Okay, so you give fidya. Fidya is basically you're giving some money to the poor, to compensate for the deficiencies in someone's amal. So that's something, you know, we as people that are alive can do for our loved ones that have already passed away. Um, and this is also another masala or iddat. Iddat means that someone who's passed away, the wife of a man that has passed away, the widow, there's a certain time period where she cannot remarry. That's usually four months, ten days. Um, if she's pregnant, then until, until delivery. Um, that is important because, you know, Islam gives a very uh, high importance to lineage. Lineage meaning they want to make sure who you claim to be your father is your father or your mother. So this is, this is important that 
four months, ten days, if somebody was pregnant, then they would know, okay, that this, this lady is pregnant, or, you know, or, or, or whatever, you know, the, the wisdom behind that is. But anyway, for ladies, they should do four months, ten days, they should spend that time in the house of her husband, where they were staying when, when they died, um, unless um, <clears throat> she has to work for whatever reason, then there is some concession that she can go work and come back, but not any, uh, not time for partying and visiting and, and things like that. But besides the, the wife, anybody else should not mourn their dead more than three days. Umm Habiba, she's the wife of Prophet one of the wives of Prophet She was the daughter of Abu Sufyan, sister of Amin Muawiyah. So after Abu Sufyan had passed away, her father had passed away, uh, three days after he passed away, she purposely put some perfume on her and put some, you know, wore some jewelry and she said, look, I don't want to do this, but I'm doing it on purpose just to show that, uh, you know, I, I am not in such a mourning as, you know, as the ladies used to do. Because in the days of Jahiliyyah, even now, if you go to India, uh, you know, there, there's, what's that called? Uh, Sog? Uh, it's like where, you know, the ladies, when, when, when lady becomes a widow, basically it's, it's, it's like, you know, she, she breaks her chudiyah and, you know, it's like, uh, or like back in the time of the Egyptians. If you have, any, you have been to Egypt, you know, in the, in the pyramids or, you know, the tombs that they used to have, when a king used to die, they were used to bury their wives and their servants and all their people with, with the king. But think of now that he's dead, he's going to need his, you know, his, his, you know, his, his favorite or whatever pillow back in the next life. So, he's, so they, they were buried, literally they were buried, everything. So, so just, I mean, except for the wife, just for that practical reasons, four months, ten days, but anyone besides that, three days, and, 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 uh, and not more than that. Um, common mistakes, the whole list of mistakes, we don't have time to go through that. Um, this one thing I wanted to cover. <clears throat> yes, this is, so this, what we have covered up to now, this was the theory. This was written in the books. This is, and you can go on, you, you can, another hour you can, you can take you know, with this. Uh, but practically today, what happens if in Chicago or even in New York or if you're in Texas, what happens when someone dies? So I just want to take the next few minutes for this and then we'll leave you, you know, we'll give you some opportunity to, to ask some questions. So you should understand, in most municipalities, there's two separate departments. Departments in the sense that two separate responsibilities. One is to take care of the deceased, someone who dies. The second is to make arrangements for the burial. So there's the, the one is the funeral home, and the second is the cemetery. So that's why I, I, I separated these, and there's two separate responsibilities. And in most places here, in Chicago, I think we have that map here, did he? It didn't come up yet. Ah, here we go. If you see the map, you know, Alhamdulillah, we have what is like nine places um, that, you know, all the way from north, all the way up in uh, Waukegan to all the way south down by uh, Harvey, you know, Muslims are, you know, are bearing. We have all the west as far as Elgin, and then we have, uh, you know, in the city next to, you know, next to Devon uh, in Peterson. So the different places, you know, that we have, um, let's see. So, all these different cemeteries that we have, I'll just keep that on there while we're talking. It is 
through a masjid. So the masjids have actually bought these graves. So as I mentioned, there's no Muslim cemetery in all Chicagoland. So what we've done is, let's say MCC has bought graves in, in Peterson, in Rosal Cemetery. Sami Foundation has bought these graves here in Elmhurst and Oakbrook Terrace. The MSI, the Masjid in Glendale Heights, and uh, Schaumburg Masjid Al-Huda, they have bought graves in Elgin. Um, the Naperville Masjid, Bolingbrook Masjid, they have bought graves in Darien. Um, uh, the Frankfurt Masjid and the Masjid down in Bridgeview, they have bought graves in, uh, in Chicago Heights. Park Home and in the, actually those are, are donated. There's another cemetery in LaGrange Park where the graves you know, uh, you know, have been donated. So the point I'm making is a normal consumer, somebody from the outside, somebody dies, the proper procedure for them would be they would go straight to the cemetery. They say, look, I want to buy a grave or I want to buy two graves. You normally when somebody dies, oh, I want to buy a husband and wife maybe for the whole family. I want to buy ten graves. But they, do, they go directly to the cemetery. But in the Muslim community, we're not doing that. Alhamdulillah, actually, that, that is a good thing. Why? Because our elders who, mashallah, who have the foresight, they have planned that they have bought sections in the cemetery. So, you know, that when they buy bulk, they can uh, bring down the price of the graves. Whereas if one person was to go to buy a grave today, it will cost you 2000 2500 if you go, uh, you, you know, that same grave you buy in Oakbrook Terrace now for, you know, $1,200, you, it costs you about three, dollars $4,000 if you were to go on your own. Um, so I'm just trying to explain to you, because I will end this side, uh, the presentation with, with the cost. Just so you know, these are practical steps. Is that, so there's three separate departments. This is what I wanted to clarify here. <clears throat> the three main expenses, three departments of having a funeral here in Chicagoland. <clears throat> One is the, is the masjid. As I mentioned before, the masjids have bought these graves. So you pay MCC charges now $600. Uh, Foundation here, they charge $1,200 for the, um, the grave in, in Oakbrook Terrace. Uh, Naperville masjids charge $750 for the graves there in, uh, in Darien. Uh, Elgin, they charge $500. Oops. Um, Elgin, uh, the Glendale Heights Masjid and the Schaumburg Masjid, you know, they, they sell the grave for $500. So depending on where you are, you know, they, they bought the whole sections there. And so one expense is you go straight to the Masjid itself. Why? Because the Masjid has made the investment in that land and you pay the Masjid. So that's one expense. Number two, each one of these cemeteries, they will charge you to dig the grave. Obviously, it, it, uh, it's called open closing costs. To dig the grave and then to cover the grave. Now, depending on which cemetery you go to, it'll change somewhere within the $1,200 to $1,500 range. This is the uh, number two here. Where we go? The, no, I'm sorry, this is number three. The open closing costs, 1000 to 1500 Depending on which cemetery you go to, that, that's how much it will cost. Um, the grave expense, number two, that depends on which cemetery you are burying. Oh, even the Albanian community, they have, you know, in, in, in Elmhurst. So you go through there. The Bosnian community, they've also bought in the Bohemian Cemetery in Chicago. So these community members, they have bought different <coughs> plots. Some of them have bought a few hundred, some have bought thousands, some have bought whole sections. You know, like the one in Elgin, that's, that's a few thousand that they have bought. So, you know, alhamdulillah. Um, and the third cost is the funeral home. The funeral home, they're responsible. This is what we passed up initially. Their job is this. 
to pick up from the place where someone dies. And this is just, you know, to be honest, it's, it's, just, it's also a scam that's how to make money. You know, in our, for our needs, we don't have to have a licensed funeral director. Because we're not going to be doing a mommy, we're not going to be having a long wake, we're not going to be doing anything. But this is just the law here that unless you are licensed, they don't allow you to pick up from a hospital or from, even from a home. But for us, basically what we need is somebody to pick up, do the washing, and that's it, and bury him. Um, so that's part of their responsibility, to pick up and to go to the place for the, <coughs> excuse me, for the washing. And again, as I mentioned, number four, Casket, we, we do not need a casket. Muslims, you know, especially you go back home, any of the back, whether it's Albania or Bosnia or Afghanistan or Pakistan, you know, whatever it is, there's no containers. And in fact, to be honest, this is an American phenomenon. Even if you go to Europe, even if you go to South America, Africa, uh, they don't embalm. This is an American phenomenon. They don't have cement boxes in their cemeteries. It's, it's an American phenomenon. Um, why that is, you know, that's a whole history behind that. But this is just something that we should know is that especially if you are living in a remote area, you should understand these laws. I mean, remote, it doesn't have to be Montana, it can be here in Springfield. You know, you know an hour and a half south from here is Bloomington, Peoria, uh, Decatur, Urbana, uh, who else is out there? DeKalb, uh, actually DeKalb has their own cemetery. Um, these somewhat remote areas, they're away from the urban population. They, if you are not connected with a masjid who, which knows the procedure, you may be tricked into saying, oh no, you have to embalm the body. Oh, you have to buy this. You have to. No, no, you do not. You, you do not. Um, <clears throat> and anyway, the reason why they say you have to have a, a container is that ideally in the Muslim uh, you, you know, if, mashallah, if anybody's gone for Hajj Umrah and, you know, when you're there, there's usually some janazah after every prayer, right? Uh, and then if you follow the mayyats to the, the cemetery, you see how they do it. What happens is ideally the, the family members should actually go inside the grave. And then they receive the body and they put it inside, you know, as we showed you the, the, the lahad or the shikh. Uh, but that's not done here. It's just put in a cement box and it's lowered through a machine. So what they say, we need something to be able to lower the body inside the machine. They say, oh, we have insurance costs and it's, you know, it's, it's a liability. We can't allow people inside the grave, whatever their rationale is. But here, you know, in, <coughs> in the Chicagoland, there's no, uh, as I mentioned before, all the cemeteries require you to have a cement box. It's not by law. It's just their designation by the cemeteries that, that we use. Um, anyway, the funeral directors, you know, that, that's their job. Um, and they take from there to the, to the funeral home, to the janaza, and after the janaza, you take to the cemetery. And uh, actually one point here, and just number six and seven are important. Death certificate. This is a, a legal document. If anybody's ever, I'll show the people that are married, they have marriage certificates. Somebody's born. Anybody here that's not born? No, everybody's born. When you're born here, you have a birth certificate. So similarly, when you die, you have a death certificate. And death certificate is a legal proof of death. Um, and it's a legal document. Someone passes away, it, uh, you know, for taxes, for insurance, for, for other purposes, you need that to prove that someone has passed away. 
to transfer title of property of other things you need this is the one they know to look you know two husband and wife they were joint ownership in a house now someone died and now they need to know okay look my husband died so how do you prove you need a death certificate <clears throat> so this is you have to be very careful when you fill out the death certificate that it is a legal document a lot of our people you know we're in a rush okay i need it well, it's just you know which is true we should be rushing to to bury the body but when you do the paperwork, you have to be very careful with the, with the numbers and the letters. What do I mean by that? Is that, you know, as far as the date of birth, your social security numbers, if they're off by a number, or Muhammad, M-O-H-A-M-M-E-D, or A-D, uh, just that makes a difference. If, you're, if it's E-D on the death certificate, but it's A-D on your passport, they're going to say, well, this is not the same person. You open up a bank account with E-D, and then your death certificate says A-D, they say, this is not you. So this is something you have to be careful with. So, you know, even now when you do your legal work, make sure, you know, they, they're synchronized. Your names are synchronized. Synchronized meaning they're the same. And the last point about the ship out, um, as, as you can tell, most of the Muslims here, we, we are immigrants. Many of us are not, you know, from here. Um, well, that's a whole other question. Who is from here? Even the American Indians, are they from here or not? But that's a whole different question. But the people, the Muslims that are here, um, especially the elders that are here, some of them have this desire that, no, I don't want to be buried here. I want to be buried back home, wherever that may be. And so, no, uh, they don't want to stay here. But I just want to take a few minutes to, to discuss that is that is actually goes against what Sharia teaches us. Wherever a Muslim dies, that's where he should be buried. Um, in fact, we have a very uh, you know, famous example, Ayyub Ansari, if anybody has been to Turkey, you know, they have his, his, his grave is there, he's a Sahabi. Is that Sahabi in whose house Prophet stayed in after Hijrah? Um, and he participated in every expedition with Prophet Muhammad But even when he passed away, he was with his son, and he was in his 90s when he passed away. And he said, no, I want you to take my body to wherever you're going in the final destination. So the Yubasari is buried in Istanbul, in Turkey. Um, but that was a different case. He was going you know, in the path of Allah. But here, so some, you know, we just have emotional ties, especially the elderly. The youngsters maybe not as much, but the elderly... They have this emotional thing, oh, I don't want to be buried here, send me back home. That you should not. Why? First of all, because the Sharia uh, you know, teachings of burying wherever you die. Number two, if you want to be shipped back home, wherever it may be, whether it's Albania, Bosnia, India, Pakistan, Afghanistan, wherever it may be, legally, by the consulate and by the airlines, the body has to be embalmed. What is embalmed? We didn't get a chance to cover that yet. But um, actually, let's do that now. Uh, there's three things I wanted to, to cover. One was embalming and there's two other things. Embalming, because as I mentioned in the beginning, a typical American funeral, it goes on seven to ten days. Between the time of death and the time of burial, it's, it's almost a week, more than a week. So if a body is left outside for that long of an interval, it call, it's a health hazard. Because obviously when, when the body is de decomposing, it, it, it's releasing gases and, 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 and it can be hazardous to other people's health. So, 
One of the ways they prevent this health hazard is to embalm the body. In fact, it's the whole history of how it started during the Civil War when they used to transport the bodies. But again, this is just an American phenomenon. So what they do is literally, I don't want to get graphic, but you should understand what happens, is when you embalm the body, they make a cut right at the neck. And they raise the carotid artery. Anybody who knows, that's the main artery that goes through, the, you know, through our body. And they cut the carotid artery. And then they inject chemicals. It's, it's, it's a, through a pump. And they inject mostly it's formaldehyde and other sort of chemicals because that slows the decomposition. You can never actually stop decomposition. It's like, you know, even King Tut, you know, he's been dead, what, about 2,000 years? But, uh, you know, his body is still, you know, it, I mean, it's re- relatively it's in good shape, but, you know, it's not going to, it's not forever. Um, like Lenin's body, they say his body, you know, he's, he's been embalmed. So, not only that, so they, they put fluids inside the body, but also, then they take a big long needle, about this long, and they make cuts inside your organs. First going up, you know, through the heart and to the lungs and to, you know, to the liver, and then they go down to the bladder and to the kidneys and all that. They're literally, they're making holes in, in those organs and they're putting, again, those same chemicals inside those organs. And that, according to Shiriyat, as I'm saying, the first point here is mutilation. And just as we mentioned earlier, I mean, we're not even allowed to cut the nails, we're not allowed to, you know, to, to, you know, to shave the beard, you know, let alone doing something like that. So I, I would caution against, you know, sending the body overseas. But some people, you know, they make emotional decisions. No, no, my mom said this was her last wish, you know, she has to go overseas. I mean, that we can consult with the ulama. But, you know, if somebody's last wish goes contrary to shariat, then you're not obliged to fulfill their wish. So I, I'm just... And another uh, concern with shipping bodies overseas is that they take longer. It's just, I mean, normally, alhamdulillah, like I mentioned before, if someone dies, you know, let's say tonight, they can be buried tomorrow. Uh, or if worse comes worse, if it's a long weekend, it's maybe Christmas or, or Thanksgiving, even, you know, you can go to Elgin, they're open, you know, 365 days a year. But if you go, oh, no, I want to be buried in Peterson and they're not open on Sunday, the worst comes worse, maybe after one or two days. But when you ship overseas, because there's a lot of uh, paperwork that is involved, it usually takes longer than two, three days. So we're looking at, that's what they, they, they make sure you embalm the body. Because not only that, because then you're transporting in an airplane. If the body's not embalmed, you're jeopardizing the whole, you know, the, the whole people that are in the flight. That's why they make sure, you know, legally you have to embalm the body. You cannot transport without the body embalmed. Huh, I should be clear. That's for international shipping. But if someone dies domestically, if you want to ship domestically, you do not have to embalm the body. Uh, you know, we just, uh, just uh, two weeks ago, we had a case, somebody, we sent somebody to California. Um, and and we, you can, there's ways of shipping without embalming. You can use dry ice, uh, as in one of the slides earlier. Dry ice is like uh, liquid nitrogen or some other just, just regular ice. Um, but, you know, there's ways to, to transport without embalming. A lot of the, you know, especially the other, you know, the funeral establishments say, no, no, you have to embalm. No, you do not have to embalm. Only if you're shipping overseas, you have to embalm. So again, it's, it's, as I'm saying, it's mutilation of the body. It's not required by law and only in the case of international shipping. And just two other cases I want to mention. Actually, I asked Muftizim, somebody just sent me a note. He said, you can, uh, you can take a little longer if you want. So I'm already past my time. 
but it's already 10 o'clock. But it's, so I just thought this couple, these things that I just want to cover the cost, and then inshallah we'll, we'll, we'll give you the, uh, um, the time to ask questions. These two things, the cost, and that's it. Um, autopsies, this is important. Um, anyone that dies in this country, they have to have a death certificate. There has to be a cause of death. We have to know why they died. Which is good in, in the sense that, um, you know, what happened? Just says, you know, there was a case a couple of years ago. Someone was poisoned, they won a lottery ticket or something. Um, and, you know, you don't know. So you may have been poisoned or something happened. Um, so most people who are under the care of a physician then someone knows what's wrong with them. If you've been diagnosed with terminal cancer, they know, okay, died because of cancer. Somebody had a heart attack, okay, myocardial infarction. Um, but if someone is not under someone's medical supervision and they die, so then what happens? So every county has a coroner coroner or a medical examiner. A medical examiner is an MD, a coroner is not an MD. Uh, their job is to determine why someone dies. Everyone who dies, even if just somebody just uh, collapsed in, you know, in, in, out in the street. So they will take him. They will, they will do an autopsy. They find out why did this happen. Especially if someone is, is young <clears throat> and it's a sudden death, then they want to know why someone died. And especially if they're very young. Very young we're talking about in their teens and 20s. And there is a death, then they definitely do an autopsy. Especially if it's like some funny business, you know, homicides or suicides, then they do autopsies. Because sometimes kids are on drugs, sometimes, you know, they're on other stuff, so they, they want to make sure there's nothing, you know, what was the actual cause of death. So the reason I'm bringing this up is that sometimes, um, if there's a sudden death, I would advise, you know, you should, uh, you know, as far as you. Um, your your health, you should be in touch with you know somebody who's you know under, under somebody's medical supervision. But if you're not, especially if this happens when you have guests coming from overseas, somebody's nani or dadi or pupa came from overseas and then he was he died. And then what happens? So now no one knows his medical history. He went to the ER. He died. So now what? So the medical examiner is involved. The medical examiner is actually then he has to determine why he died. So one thing I, I want to point out to you now is you can ask them to not do an autopsy. And they're usually pretty uh, recipient. They're usually pretty uh, accommodating to the Muslim families. You tell them, look, in our culture we don't do autopsy. Why autopsies? Actually, I, I didn't uh, clarify. What is an autopsy? Autopsy is they make a cut, a Y cut from here all the way down to like the abdomen and they basically they open up the, 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 the chest cavity and they take samples of different organs um, to see why maybe it was a liver mal malfunction or you know you had a heart attack or something um, so it's, it's cut literally and they cut the skull and they cut the, the, the scalp here and they take out the, the skull and they take samples from the brain so the autopsy that's why they're really bloody because the blood has been drained um, so, I mean, technically that is also mutilation of the body. You don't want to be cutting up a dead, you know, a dead body. 
So if someone has died and you are okay with the fact that you know it was it was a you know someone was old, he had some issues, then you can you can just ask them, look, we don't want the body to be autopsied. And they're usually pretty, pretty nice. But sometimes, especially if the young person has a sudden death, then they do it anyway. They have the authority to say, no, I want to find out why he died. Young meaning anybody uh, under 45. If someone just collapses and they want to know, okay, wh- wh- why did he die? You know, what happened? So they have the authority, especially Cook County is run by a medical examiner. DuPage has a coroner, Cook County, because the medical examiner is an MD, and they do autopsies every day. Um, so one issue with the autopsy is that, that, you know, because they cut the body open, the second issue is that it will also delay the burial. Because the medical examiner takes possession of the body, um, they need time to do the autopsy, so they will also delay the burial. So we need to be understanding of that. I'm just giving you this information because sometimes it happens. It happens all the time. That, oh, someone saw, you know, he slipped and did this, and now we want to bury him. And as, mashallah, you know, we do have this, uh, this feeling we to bury him as soon as possible. But then they say, no, no, the medical examiner has him. We don't, we can't get to him until two days. So I'm, I'm just letting you know that is their authority. And they, and they do have that authority. And one last thing before we get to the, you know, the numbers. Uh, babies, as I mentioned earlier, um, babies should be buried. Even if it's a, it's a miscarriage or, you know, for, for whatever reasons, uh, there's two types of, uh, of baby death. One is a stillbirth. Stillbirth is that someone is born, but they are born dead. They have not taken a breath. And how do you define dead? That they do not have a heartbeat and they did not make noise when they, when they were born. I mean, they, didn't, they didn't scream, they didn't cry. So it's a stillbirth. The stillbirth, they should then they do, they, uh, they should still be buried, but says that they're not given um, the, the the they don't have a janazah. Somebody who who dies without being born alive, then there's no janazah. They should still be buried, but there's no janazah. But if the baby is buried even for a minute, then he's considered alive. Then you have you give him a name, you do the ghusl, and you have a janazah just like an adult. The dua is different, as we covered earlier. The dua is different for, for a child. So now I'll just finish. There's one last thing as far as the, the numbers. Uh, just, just for your information for the Muslim community here, especially you know, in the western suburbs. Um, we did cover this, but just to go in details. Um, three main expenses. One is the funeral home. Um, the second is the, uh, is the masjid. You pay for the graves. And third, for the cemetery. To dig the grave and to cover the grave. So add them up. Normally, uh, it's an average about four to four and a half thousand dollars for someone who passes away. Um, Saturdays, on, on, you see on the side, Saturday, they charge overtime if they do it. Some cemeteries, especially like the Catholic cemeteries, um, uh, they, don't, they don't bury uh, you know, in, on the weekends. Um, some cemeteries, if you tell them in advance, let's say someone dies on Friday, you can tell them, look, I want to bury on Saturday, then they will have staff. Uh, but sometimes they don't have staff, and they say, no, we, we, can, we can't do it. But if, even if they do it, uh, they will charge. Uh, most of them, they charge time and a half. That's what X, X means, time plus half. So if they're charging $1,200, then they charge 600 more. So the total will be $1,800 for a Saturday. And this last one, Sundays, if they do it at all. Again, only the one I know of is the Elgin, Bluff City Cemetery. Uh, Elmhurst? But you have to tell them in advance, though. 
Yeah, if you don't, then if somebody dies Saturday night, good luck. You're not going to get it. Yeah, right, Sundays, that's what I'm talking about. Yes, yes. Yeah, Sundays, they, they don't. Um, so that's fine, inshallah, we'll end here. Um, we covered this, you know, Muslim funerals, alhamdulillah, that is one of the attractions of, uh, of, of, of Islam. And, you know, everything that Muslims do is, is an attraction. You know, the way we should, our akhlaq is an attraction to Islam. When we talk to somebody, you know, when we eat, when we eat zabiyah, halal, they, you know, you know they, our food is, is dawat. The way the clothes we wear is dawat. Our beard is dawat. The ladies who wear scarf is dawat. So in other words, this, our dying is even dawat. Because when you talk to somebody who works, you work with, they say, look, my mother died, we paid $4,000. They're going to say, what? I paid $4,000 just for the grave. I paid $12,000 for, for a burial. I, we had this, I had a long conversation just the other day with somebody who works in a, you know, in a hospital. He said, how can you do that? For $4,000, you know, they call $12,000. And they take out life insurance and the life insurance policies are paying. And the life insurance policy, they will not come through for at least a few days. So they wait until the life insurance pays for them. And then they pay for the, for the limousines and the flowers and all that. You don't need all that. You don't need all that. So, so anyway, inshallah, may Allah make it easy. Uh, so I'll give you some chance for questions. Uh, and then if not, uh, then we'll, we'll give some time to our friend here. Uh, to anybody who's interested to, to do a practical demonstration for the ghusl and the kafan. So we'll give you, yes brother. Salat, janadul uh, ghaib. That's a fiqhi masala, according to fiqh Hanafi, no. We do not do janadul ghaib. The reference they gave is to uh, Najashi, you know, who died in, um, uh, in, ha- in Habasha. They say Prophet Muhammad did it for, you know, for him. We said that was a mojiza. That was the exception Prophet Muhammad you know, did that. And just while he's on that question, uh, yeah, you can pass your questions if you like. You can pass your questions up. We'll cover them. Uh, just one thing I wanted to cover. We we just sped through all the mistakes that we do. One of the key things was you know about bringing flowers and uh, uh, and, and and you know doing special meals at the third three day anniversary, the forty day anniversary. There's nothing like that. And one thing that they do is you know they put. Uh, oh, announcement? No. Okay, no, no problem. Yeah. Um, one thing they do is they bring flowers and they give reference to a hadith from Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. You know, it's a very famous hadith. He passed by a grave and he said, yu'adaban, That these two people are being punished. And then Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam took a, a, a branch from a tree and they put half on one grave and the half on the other. Uh, and then that lessened the punishment for, for these two people. But the one around explained this was the mojiza of Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. This says he split the moon with his finger. If you can do that, then if you want, then you can put, uh, you know, flowers on the grave. But uh, most of us probably cannot do that. Um, so, so, so just to answer that, yes. Second? On that. The question is, what happens when a spouse dies? Can you touch? Um, you can see. You can see, um, but you cannot touch. Um, so, so you can see your wife and the wife can see you you in the sense that you know if I'm dead the wife can see me you know because when we inshallah when we do this uh, the, the, the coffin you'll see that when, when we have a viewing when you show somebody the body you can um, just open just the face you're only seeing the face you're not seeing the whole body so just to maybe just um, to show the last respects and to be honest and we didn't get a chance to cover that but actually after the ghusl and before the janaz, this is what we do here, is that it's good for the family to come and see the deceased. Some people say, oh, we don't want to see them. Because it gives you closure. 
that this was my mother, this was my grandmother, and you see them going peacefully, and then it gives you just a peace of, peace of mind, okay, now, now that they're gone, inshallah. Any other questions? Let me do these. Assalamu alaikum, it is a person's will to get buried in their home country, India. Even though it takes time and also go through embalming, should we follow their will and go by Sharia law? No. The question is, what if somebody has put in their will that they want to be buried overseas? Um, I would say refer to the ulama, but no, you should not. Because in order to go overseas, you would have to be embalmed. And you would be delayed. And, and not only that, it's also more expensive. When you ship overseas, the ship out costs like eight to $9,000 as compared to $4,000 for a regular burial here. So no, you should not. I'm sorry? Yes, yes. Uh, question, miscarriage, eighth week, what to do? Do with the fetus if removed by a doctor. If a miscarriage, as we're saying, then the, the fetus should be buried. Babies should be buried. Person has a tattoo, wants to remove a tattoo, but no money. So upon his death, how can we help him? No. If somebody has tattoos, they think, oh, should we remove the tattoos after that? No, that's whatever they had is, is there. If they want to remove tattoos, they should do that while they're living. Um, but uh, after they pass away, no, they should not. Um, are we required to contact the police when our family member oh, That's a good question, actually. The question is, do you have to contact the police? If someone passes in the hospital, thank you, if someone passes in the hospital, then there's no problem. Because the hospital knows you're sick, you're, 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 you had a problem, that's why you're in the hospital. But if you pass away at home, there's two possibilities. If you're at home, either you're under hospice care, or you're not. Hospice care is called palliative care. Is when end of life care, basically that's what it translates to. That when you're, you're diagnosed with an illness, and rather than you spending your last days in, in the hospital, which mashallah is actually a good thing, that you know, this, this country is actually coming around to it. It wasn't like that you know, 15, 20 years ago. Uh, the more they're, they're getting more and more involved in this palliative care, that they're allowing people to die in the peace of their homes. So if you're under, under hospice care, that means that you are under a supervision of a doctor. And a nurse is coming visiting you um, um, periodically. So in that case, if you die at home and you're under hospice care, then you contact the nurse. No, you do not have to call the police. But if you die at home and you're not under hospice, then you do have to call the police. Even if you say, oh, he just came, he had surgery, and he came back home, oh, yes, he died because of surgery. Yes, but he was not under a doctor's supervision. So if something like that happens, you have to call the police. We cannot come pick up the body until the police releases the body. Is it clear? So if someone dies at home, if you're unsure, call the police. And then after the police comes and they do their investigation, then, then they say, okay, call your funeral guy. Then, then you can call, you know, whoever you need to. But initially, yes, yes. If, if they're not under hospice care, if they're not under doctor's supervision, then you do have to call the police. Um, let's see. In Chicago, can you bury without a cement coffin? No, not that I know of. The eight cemeteries that we have, uh, they all require a cement box. Is organ donation allowed in Islam or not? That's a bigger question. Maybe we can cover that later. Do we really, what does that say? Do we really burial ground here? I don't know what that means. Average cost of funeral per person. We covered that already. The average cost here in Chicago between four, four and a half thousand. 
Do you need to bury someone if they die in battle? Huh, that's an exceptional case. I didn't cover that. These are exceptional cases. We it took us two hours just to cover through the, you know, the, the regular cases. But there are exceptional cases. Someone dies in battle is called a shaheed. Uh, a shaheed uh, is not given a ghusl. In fact, he's not given a coffin. And they, those are exceptional cases. But I don't know if we have any people dying in battlefield here in, in the USA. What happens if the people ignore his or her funeral? Huh? I don't know what that means. Can I be an organ donor? Okay. That is a, maybe Mufti Minhaj, Mufti Uzim, maybe we can have a session on that later on. We'll have some discussion on that. That is a, it's a question that I raised and it's good. I'm glad you guys are thinking about it. But I don't want to give you just a yes or no answer. There's a lot of detail to it. Um, which cemeteries, you don't need a casket. Lagrange, 35. No, Lagrange, you do need a casket. The Grange is Park Home Cemetery. Um, you do need a casket. In fact, nowadays we're using a simple tray. It's called the cremation tray, but it's just a simple wooden tray and this, uh, the, with a simple cardboard cover. Um, most cemeteries allow that, but two cemeteries, this one, the one in Lagrange Park and the one here in Oak Brook Terrace, the, on Chapel Hill West on Roosevelt Road, they do not allow to bury in that simple tray. They say you have to have a casket. And that's just, you know, this, this is our, our rule. And that's true. They're free to make their own rules. But uh, if you want to bury there, then you have to be in a casket. Where does the spirit go when you die? I know it comes back. That, that's a longer question. Sunnah um, to visit the grave. Yes, we can cover it. If we have time, maybe we can cover this Sunnah to visit the grave. Uh, it, that was part of the presentation, but I'm sorry. It just took too long. We didn't get a chance to cover that. It's already, what, uh, almost 10.30. Sorry. Should the janazah be facing Qibla or how should the body be placed? Huh, this, I didn't get a chance to cover that. This is important actually. Um, we showed you the pictures of the lahad and the shikh. But we don't have that here. So what do you do? They have a cement box. So how do you bury in a cement box? So what we do here um, is that the body is lowered inside the grave and then technically, sunnah-wise, the body should be facing Qibla. That's why if you notice, most of the cemeteries that we have here, they've, they've designed the cemetery such a way that the body is facing Qibla. How is the body facing Qibla? That when the body is on its right side, the complete facial plane, so if you turn him right side, so this whole side faces Qibla. So those people that use the tray, then we have family member go inside the grave, then they turn him facing Qibla. Those that use the caskets, because the caskets take up the whole box, then what we do is we turn them facing Qibla before they actually go down inside the grave. So, so that, that's how we bury. Can a baby be buried with a person? Um, Shari'i wise, it's really no problem. But here the cemetery, because like I mentioned, this is a business. They want, uh, they, they want everybody to have their own grave. And not just a business, actually what they do is because um, unlike back home, where you know, I'm sure you've seen India, Pakistan, the grave is used, you know, after every few months somebody else has taken over the grave. You don't know who's there. You know, it used to be your grandmother and then somebody else is there and somebody else took over because the space is so limited. But here they don't do that. What they do is they actually give you a deed. It's just like a property. You, lot number, section number, grave number. This is yours. Um, 
So, you know, so that actually you have the peace of mind. Um, you have the peace of mind that, okay, did you know that somebody's here? This is my mother. We put her there 15 years ago. Inshallah, she will be here. Um, so, as far as the, the burial, um, it, it, surely wise you can, but, you know, here, it, it, you know, we usually don't. Um, should the Janazi face in Qibla or Hashiva did that? Can we touch the deceased body? Uh, touching the body. Uh, as again, if you're non-mahram, you cannot. But mahrams can. So I can touch my mother. Um, obviously, male and male brothers, no problem. But non-mahram, you cannot. Either male to a female or female to a male. Huh. It's a common practice in the subcontinent to bury a dua or a surah mulk or durushri with the body. Is it permissible? No, it's not. In fact, that was one of the things. Oh, what's happening here? Uh, the common mistakes, we had a whole list of this. There's like 10 here, 20, 30, 40. There's a whole list of these. If we had time, we would go through that. So one of them was this, is that when you bury somebody, um, it's only the body, the body and the cloth. So you do not put uh, some tabarruk, karbala uh, kimiti, um, uh, you know, you put some Quran or the, no, nothing. Because the only thing that, that go with you is your amal. That's it. But that's simple as that. Um, that's why in some cultures they actually do talqeen. Talqeen, you know, not this talqeen where I define. They define talqeen as literally, you know, when the hadith is atahu malakan uyadisanihi uysalanalahu uyakulalahu man rabbuk. When the angels come, they ask you, who is your Lord? Ma dinuk? What is your deen? Ma tukulu hadur hadur? What do you say about Prophet Sallallahu So what they're doing is when, when the guy is dead, they're putting him in the ground and say, look, Say, when the angels came to you, say, Allahu Rabbi. Uh, the guy is too late now. Just for us telling him now somebody's dead, look, it's like cheating on a test. You know, Allah is much better than that. So the, one, the time to do that is before, you know, before we die. Um, it said that my answer is... Um, okay, questions about the soul, that, that's, that's a longer question. I'm just going to, that, that will take time to explain. Is there fidya for missed salat? Yes, there is. We mentioned that. Fidya meanings um, to give some money to the poor if you missed prayers and if you missed uh, fast in Ramadan. Yes, there is. How much it is? It's a certain amount of uh, wheat. Uh, you know, I think right now it's like five, seven dollars. Don't quote me. You can check. Uh, but somewhere in that range. So each prayer times five. So let's say five. Let's assuming. Let's, for example, if it's five dollars. So five times five would be twenty-five dollars a day. If you missed two months, so that'd be sixty days. So twenty-five times sixty—that would be the amount of amount money you would give, you know, in the poor. Is it correct for hadith that a good Muslim is the one who thinks about his death seventy times a day? Yes, that is true. We should think about death often. During the time that a person is told that they only have a few days to live, does their forgiveness still count? What does that mean, actually? Uh, the, the, the way I understand the question is that let's say if, if I'm healthy now and I know that I can atone for my mistakes, I can still ask you for forgiveness. But now that I know I'm dying, okay, now I ask you forgiveness. Well, it's too late now. No, so what uh, the time, uh, the, the time for um, the, uh, for Toba is ma'alam yugargir. Yugargir means until, the, until your last breath. So until you have time. There's a few more questions, but I think time is it's very late. Um, we'll do this, inshallah. 
uh, what is this? Yes. So, inshallah, we'll, if you have questions, we can, we can continue later on, inshallah. And um, we'll, we'll hold this till the end. Inshallah, Musab will come for the dua. Musab will Tiki will just have dua, inshallah. May Allah make it easy for all of us, inshallah, to, to implement what we've learned. And inshallah, help us to die on Iman. Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. Wa salatu wa salam ala sulil kareem. Alhamdulillahi alladhi hadana lihada huma kunna linahtadiya lawla an hadana Allah. ربنا ظلمنا انفسنا وان لم تغفر لنا وترحمنا لكننا من الخاسرين ربنا آتنا في الدنيا حسنة وفي الآخرة حسنة وقنا عذاب النار ربنا هب لنا من ازواجنا وذرياتنا قرة عين وجعلنا للمتقين اماما يا الله please forgive our mistakes يا الله whatever we may have done open and secret major and minor please forgive our mistakes and help us to live our life in such a way that you're happy with us اللهم إنا نسألك خير كله عاجله وآجله ما علم منه ما لم نعلم ونعوذ شر كله عاجله وآجله ما علمنا منه ما لم نعلم وصلى الله تعالى على خير خلق محمد وعلى سابد معين برحمة كيار جزاك الله خير for coming